Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Previously on Mentally Yours. I wanted to write a, uh, a book where the main character was mentally ill without making their mental illness the subject of the plot. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. While you're here you should check out our other podcast, Good Sex, Bad Sex. I'm Ellen and you might have noticed that there's no event this week. She's away having all kinds of fun. If you want to go look at her Instagram you can see all the incredible places she's been hanging out. I'm very jealous. This week's guest is comedian Laura Lex who's got a new show called Trying. We'll be chatting to her about feeling sad that she can't have a baby, feeling sad that she's not sure she wants to have a baby and feeling sad that she feels so sad about the whole thing. I had what I would call a mental breakdown. I don't know what the specific technicalities of what you have to have had happen to call it a breakdown, but um, my life stopped in about 2016 because I decided to start trying for a baby. And I was medicated for severe depression and anxiety. Got over that, well, not over it, got past that to the point where I could function again, started trying again for a baby, and it's a year and a half later, and I appeared to still not be pregnant. So the show is sort of about having had what was um, diagnosed as postnatal depression without the baby. Wow. Yeah, right? How do you you shrink that down into a, hey, come to see this comedy show? (laughs) I mean, it sounds great. sounds like a barrel of laughs. It is actually. Writing the show has been lovely about it because it's been a chance for me to be really honest about how I felt about things without people sitting there sort of mooing at me and going, oh, poor thing. You know, when you need to talk about it, but you don't need anybody to cuddle you you yeah. just need to be able to talk about it and writing something that's comedy about it has let me do that I wouldn't imagine anyone would heckle on that kind of subject <laughs> but if they did you know maybe that's 
Yeah, cool. I mean, they can try. I'm pretty good at dealing with hecklers good. these days, though. Has it been cathartic, writing it all out and turning it into kind of a comedy thing? I don't know. I think with something like this, I feel like I've catharted and I feel like I've cleaned the wound and then something comes out of nowhere and knocks you over again and you go, what? I didn't know that was even still in there. I thought we'd fix that bit. Why Why are we crying at that advert now? Like, I when I went down in a couple of years ago, was it? Yeah, two years ago now, I didn't know I could feel that rubbish and I've had depression since I was 16 I'm quite familiar with how that feels I didn't know it got that physical and so now that I am a billion times better than where I was every now and again something will come back out again and I'll go whoo wasn't expecting that and it'll be like right okay let's work out that little section of this puzzle then let's fix that bit so yes cathartic but Nothing seems to completely purge it all. Oh, yeah, it's never a quick fix. No. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have just like done a week of therapy and been like, okay, that's done. Oh, all that would have been now, great. Which would be amazing. I could have had my Wednesday afternoon back. Um, you said that this time around with depression, you felt it was a lot kind of more physical and it was kind of bigger than it was before. Can you explain kind of the difference between the depression you'd had before and this experience of depression? Yeah, so before I have always had on and off bouts of just not being able to control my behavior or personality of wondering whether it's just me and I'm a worse person when I'm sad than other people that seem to be sad and not be a horrible woman at the same time. Um, And I've had terrible bouts of it and I've been fine. When this kicked in, I didn't notice what it was for a long time. What happened to me was I got completely obsessed with the concept of global warming. I think because we'd started trying for a baby, I had started to think about that baby's life once it was here. And I started to worry that there wasn't enough planet left for them to have a life. And so I didn't notice it for months and months until... I'd got to a point where every second of my waking day was consumed with thoughts about fossil fuels and the temperature and everything I did contributing to this bigger problem. Um, And it built and built to a point where I couldn't do anything that I thought had a negative impact on the environment, which if you've been alive in 2018 you'll know is everything so all I really wanted to do was sit in my bed with the lights off not eat anything that needed to be refrigerated or came from an animal or had been brought to me in a lorry I didn't want to touch any of it in case I made the world worse and I think because it had been creeping up on me for so long because it had started with oh I'll use the car less or oh I'll do this I hadn't noticed that by the point where I got help, I I wanted to kill myself because I didn't know how to get back to a life that had the things I knew in it. And I was sort of looking at my husband and thinking, I don't want to drag you down with me. I don't, I don't know how to get back to the life I promised you we'd have. And I can't unknow the things I know about the way the world works and the world being mental. I can't think of another way to do this. And that inescapableness of it, that permanent feeling of I'm not wrong about the things 
that I'm thinking about. So how do I get rid of this feeling? Heavy, heavy stuff. (laughs) I was kind of laughing at first with the environment stuff because it is like, if you get an obsessive thought, it does sound just bizarre to if when you're not in it. Yeah. Are you still kind of in the environmental focus? Have you come out of that a bit? I'm very aware of the environment and I have made huge changes to my own life. Um, And I'm aware that the problems I was obsessed with are problems. But what is different now I have the right drugs in my system to help me think clearly. And now that I've been to a lot of therapy and talked all this through, is I now recognize that the conclusions I'd come to about those problems are not accurate. Those are conjecture provided by my brain to freak me out. Um, I'm also not the only person by a country mile worried about these things. Whereas when I was in a ball vomiting under my bed, I thought I was the only person in the world that thought straws were a bad idea. And I just thought the world was bonkers. And actually, it's not. We are getting somewhere with that. So I'm still gently prodding myself and the world in the right direction. And I think we're getting there. And actually, in the last six months, the change has been immense. Um, But the other thing that got pointed out to me was that by my therapist was that if we stopped doing all the things that I wanted us to stop doing because they were having a negative impact on the world, it would be the end of the world anyway, because we can't feed people if we don't carry on with some of the things. So having the, being able to step back and, and look at it in a bigger picture, instead of that ridiculous idea that me turning the light on would be the extra 0.2 milligrams of carbon dioxide that tipped us over the edge that that's changed Mm, realizing that you're not the sole person responsible I think that was a big thing for me was that it was the idea of guilt was what kicked it off and that I think that's very common with mental health problems is that it's guilt and it's feeling like it's your responsibility and because this came about from me wanting a biological baby I felt guilty because I don't mind if I die. I don't mind if the world comes to an end while I'm alive because that's fine. I can cope with that. But what I couldn't cope with was the idea of creating somebody for my own selfish reasons that would have to deal with the problems I was going to pass them. So that guilt was right in the middle of it all. Did that ever kind of affect your decision to have a child or was it more kind of the trying process that made the mental health issues worse. I'm just wondering how they kind of like interplayed. The whole thing was a big mess, hmm. huge mess. I I didn't know that this was going to be a problem to begin with, so we tried. Then we just stopped trying for a really long time while I got some help and got back on my feet and got going again. Um, we then talked for a really long time about adoption and I'm not sure where we are now. That's probably a discussion for another time but certainly adoption became a much bigger conversation than it had ever had been before because that sort of idea of actually not creating somebody is hugely appealing to me to be able to give somebody all the love that I want to give them and to be able to have all the parts of the family ideal that I'm dying for without having made a person so I can play with them, which is how I started to feel. And I sort of do feel about biological children in my 
for me, not for other people. I think other people can do what they like. I, I in no way think you shouldn't have biological kids if you want them. But for me, because I have that sort of slight about the how I feel about creating a person for my own benefit, which is what it is, because we don't need more people. It would just be because I want them. I think perhaps adoption. That's really interesting because I'm complete opposite. I definitely don't want kids ever. Sure. Very much try not to have them. <laughs> but I'm interested by how kind of strong you are and I don't want to create one. Like that would be bad. Where does that kind of come from? I don't know. I I wish I knew because I wish I could wind the clock back and have never had this this emotional reaction to it. I... There's something, it's either because of being a comedian or it's because I, of this that I became a comedian. But when you're a comic, you look at the way everybody does something and you look for something else to point out to them. And so with children, I think what that is for me is children and family and the concept of family is my whole world. It's everything I want. But the reason I want a family is because I want to take something and just love them. I want to love them and give them everything in the whole wide world. But if I've made that person so that I can do that for them, am I actually doing it for them or am I doing this for me? Do you think you're overthinking this? Of course I'm <laughs> overthinking this. Of course I am. I overthink everything. I, every, I can overthink for hours and hours and hours. But this is going to sound bizarre for people listening to this now. I'm going, whew, this woman's heavy. I'm actually such an optimistic and happy person when I'm not depressed. I hate people that denigrate what things that other people love. Like, you know, I don't watch Love Island. I'm not very interested in it, but I love that other people do. I love when that bit rolls around on Twitter and you see people go nuts. You think, ah, oh, cool, that season's here for you guys. I don't want to, but knock yourselves out. And then you see the next wave of people that love going, I'm so sick of seeing updates about Love Island. Yes. That I've had to post about it now to show you how above Love Island I am. And you just think, nah, you're just bad of the rest of them. Good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I'm not down with people being like, oh, what? only dumb people watch Love Island. No. It's stupid. It's like, just, yeah. it's addictive. We all love stuff. It's an what, anthropological why, why experiment. Why do you have to hate on loving things? Exactly. I love loving things. And same as kids. If you yeah. want kids, that's not for me. You must hear all the time, oh, you'll change your oh, mind. Oh, all the time. Oh, you'll change your mind, babe. You'll change your mind. You'll change your mind. You'll change your mind. And also, you think um, that now. sometimes, like, Maybe when you write the meet, meet the right guy. And I'm like, I don't think that would change it yeah. that much. Surely that should be when you meet the right kid, you'll want yeah, that kid. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that. You're and not that, allowed to have tried. Unless you would, yeah, adoption. Yeah. I mean, that's specific. Exact one. <laughs> so when you were in kind of the midst of this, what point was it that you're like, okay, I need to get help? And how did you go about getting help? I didn't recognize that I needed help. I. My sister came to stay, luckily. Um, actually, I, I don't know if my husband had invited her down because for my husband, it had been very difficult because obviously when you live with someone day in, day out, you don't quite get the grasp of how far it's gone. And I'd hidden a lot of it from him. I'd, I'd hidden the extent of the thoughts I was having. Um, so my sister came to stay and... She told me about a situation that she was aware of where somebody had had 
very similar thought processes, but on a different subject. Because the problem that I was having was that I knew I was right about the things I was worried about. So I didn't see how it could be something that I could get help with, because no one could tell me what I was thinking about wasn't true. So I didn't think I needed help. I thought the world needed help, which it does. And we're getting it. So, um, so my sister came down and she sort of recognized that I was in trouble. And that I think was the first time I recognized that possibly help would come. And then I can't remember how quickly it all happened, but I remember being at the GPs with my husband and talking to them and telling them how I felt. And they took me very seriously. They were wonderful. And they offered me therapy and or antidepressants. And I said, I would love the therapy. For some reason, I was being very high and mighty. And I said no to the antidepressants. And they said, okay, cool. You'll have therapy in about six months. And I went, ah, I can't, I won't be here. I can't do this. I can't feel like this. So I took the antidepressants. Um, and I started those like that day or the next day. And I felt very, very sick for about a week. And then I leveled out. I started to level out and just, I would get a bit of peace in a day. There would just be a small segment of the day where I wasn't freaked out totally. Um, and then from where they kicked in, I, I got into therapy and I did cognitive behavioral therapy. So I did a lot of that for four, five, six months. I can't remember. Um, and between them, I would say the drugs, which I'd always been so skeptical about because especially being a comic and I need my brain to be able to go in and out all of these avenues and jump about quickly. And I was like, I don't want to be a zombie. Don't take the pills, big pharmaceuticals and all that nonsense. I took them and went, oh, these are really just drugs that help with yeah. the disease I had. I feel like so many people, I felt like that the same. I was like, I'm in a creative field. Like, I think people read too much about like lithium mm -hmm. and kind of the old fashioned antidepressants and it does put you off they're not permanent I'm exactly. not on them anymore actually I've come off mine once I got a certain step into the behavioral therapy I kind of thought I think I feel better but I wanted to come off the uh, pills for the last stages of my therapy to make sure that I could have the therapy over the point I was coming off them, if that makes sense. Because I didn't yeah. want to get to a point where I was like, I feel great. I'm ready to stop seeing my lady. I've told her all myself and she's given me all the exercises. Then I'd come off them and go, oh, no, I only felt great because they were boosting. So I wish people knew that as well, that you can be on them for the blink of an eye, just a year. Boom, get yourself leveled out, get the other bits you need slot in. And, and disappear again. And then the relief I have in my life, knowing that if that feeling of rock bottom ever comes back, there is a pill that will just take that edge off it just for long enough to get me the rest of the help. That makes me feel like crying every time I talk about it, knowing that that rock bottom can never be as bad as it was again. So how was it to come off the antidepressants? It was okay. It was a bit rocky every time I took the dose down. So I think I went from was on a very light dosage anyway, as I remember it. So I think I went from taking one every day to taking one and missing the third day. And then after about a week or two weeks of that, I went down to every other day and sort of slowly took the dosage down. And it was rocky a little bit. Every time I lowered the dosage, I just felt a little bit less armoured up. But it wasn't, I don't remember it being too scary. By that point, I had enough um, exercises in place with the behavioral therapy and 
we'd done quite a lot of work. So we'd unpacked some of the things that were scaring me. I had a lot of problems I wanted to avoid, everything to do with um, the environment or the temperature. So I'd blocked out the temperature gauge on my car because I didn't want to know what the temperature was outside. Because not that I even know what the temperature is meant to be, but whatever it was, I was convinced that was too high. Um, I couldn't look at things like weather reports. Um, I didn't want to see any tweets about anything. All of that stuff I'd blocked out. And then we started working on... So say I had my hypothetical baby... I was very scared that uh, global warming would happen and my baby wouldn't get much of a life and it would be my fault. Then my therapist sort of said, well, what about other things? Then what if you have your hypothetical baby and nuclear war breaks out? Because, like, that's pretty likely at mm. the moment or it certainly was at the time I was in the therapy. And I didn't even blink, didn't even feel terrified. And I just went, well, I can't stop that. I can't control that. That's, what, what am I meant to do about that? And she sort of went, well, what are you going to do about carbon dioxide, babe? You you don't control that either. You can help, but you could tweet Donald Trump and ask him to resign. That's just as helpful. Like, what, what are you going to do? So by that point, I'd started to slowly have um, exercises I could do where when something triggered me, I could look at it and say, why that scares you because it makes you feel guilty, not because it's real. So as the armor of the antidepressants started to wear off, the armor I was building up with more, with useful things that I was doing was increasing. So mm -hmm. they balanced. Because I think antidepressants allow you to get to the point where you can actually do those things. Yes. Like that's been my experience for sure. Like without the antidepressants, I definitely wouldn't have gone to therapy and done all of that. No. Positive stuff. I don't think I could have. I just was panicked. I was like panic was all I could do. And the only respite I got was being asleep. And so I just wanted to be asleep all the time. How have you found it kind of talking openly about mental health and antidepressants and all that kind of big stuff? How have people reacted? Generally pretty well. It's been a mixed bag. I love doing comedy about it. And when I find the right um, route into it, so people are really laughing about it, I have to be able to show the audience that I'm okay, though. They need to know that I'm joking about it because I can, not asking them for help through jokes. There have been a couple of occasions. I did. I took part in a show that was a sort of um, surgery. It was called Comedy Surgery, I think, by a really funny comic. And um, what the idea was that you went on and you talked about your health problems. And one comic was on there talking about digestive stuff and poo and things like that. And I was on there talking about depression. And um, I felt like I'd done all right. I'd held my own. I'd like chatted about it and I'd been quite open and funny. And as I was leaving two girls in the foyer, I went, I just don't think you should joke about things like that. Like you can joke about um, physical things, but I just don't think you should be joking about suicide. And I was kind of, and it really shook me up. And I, mm. I went home and I was in tears on the walk home thinking, oh God, I'm, I'm embarrassing. Like I'm an embarrassing person taking my personal stuff out of its box and showing it to people and they're embarrassed for me. And then by the time I got home, I thought, no, like, no, what happened to me and what happens to everybody else with this stuff is no more in my control or embarrassing or, shouldn't be talked about than if I had a gut problem or any other problem. And so it's not until more people like me 
talk about it not in hushed tones and just come out with it like full force and go yeah I had really I have depression but that doesn't mean I've got to sit here and whisper to you and we've got to keep blinking and nodding at each other we can still have a chat like full force people that's the bit that you've got to get around I think I think pooing is a good barometer of like if we're okay talking about that then we should really be okay being like sometimes it gets quite dark in here yeah it's amazing how much as well because I think what happened to me is all tied in with like the wanting a baby stuff and and trying for a baby and now like the comedy's writing itself that had a breakdown about the idea of having a baby and now it looks like I can't have one anyway it's like come on Laura <laughs> at least only get sad about stuff that's happening instead of stuff that it now turns out might not be an option but that people are I'd say people are more tense about me talking about trying for a baby and possibly not being able to than the depression. I did a really lovely gig in London a couple of months ago and there'd been a comic on who talked about having... Oh, a lost voice guy who's just won Britain's Got Talent. Oh my God, He'd amazing. just been on. And so he'd been doing his set and he's absolutely hilarious. And another comic had been on talking about something else. She'd got over breast cancer and she'd been talking about that. And I came out and I started doing some stuff about trying for a baby and the audience just got a little bit muted. And I, I, I just stopped and went, guys, are you serious? Like we've talked, like Lee's been on and we've done breast cancer but my hormones are the thing you're going to freak out about like a woman with hormones mm. that's what's gonna kick this gig into like you can't talk about that tragedy it's like nah do one we're talking about it and they went oh yeah and got on board and it was great people get really weird about that though really weird it's quite interesting i don't know what it is exactly no i think babies and pregnancy and stuff is still all a bit enshrined like Oh, it annoys me so much when they go, if you are trying for a baby or you do fall pregnant, don't tell anyone. And you're like, why? Why can't you tell anyone? And they go, in case something goes wrong. Go, I'm sorry, do we live in the Victorian era? So I'm meant to like have been trying for two years and not be able to and just not tell anyone in case I bum out a party. Or if I get pregnant and I lose that within three months, which is fairly likely to happen, it happens all the time, I don't tell anyone because... Cause, cause, why? Cause it was my fault. Cause I we judged if I do. Cause I, my value as a wife product goes down. Like, no, t- mm. talk about it if you want to. That is bizarre. Like, it's so weird that we still have that hang up of everything else that goes wrong with you. Get support for it. But if you lose a baby, don't tell anyone. Mm. Like that has to be top secret stuff. Yeah. And you mentioned that you are still thinking about trying for mm-hmm. a baby. How's that going? And how are you making sure that that's not kind of going to put you back into the bad place mentally. Yeah. It's really hard. Mm. I've had to just sort of go, life will just happen. And I can't beat myself about, up about it. I've started being very open with myself about how I feel about things. Because for a really long time, we just, my husband and I, and my husband is the most understanding man on the planet. <laughs> he and I sort of said, okay, we'll adopt. And we went to a few adoption meetings and we chatted to a few social workers and we put plans into uh, into the running that we thought, okay, if that's the route we want to go down, we can do that. That route is open to us now. And I was still and am still having real trouble with 
mixed feelings about other people being pregnant or my husband for some inexplicable reason has never watched friends what? so we're I, like yeah this is the most shocking thing you'll hear on this podcast so we're currently watching that at the moment and we're just up to spoilers if you haven't seen friends switch this off for a second we're just up to the point where rachel has emma yeah and i can't watch the episodes i'm in floods every time we see her in the hospital or we see her dealing with her pregnancy. I can't deal with it. So I obviously have something still in me that is not settled on this issue. So we just let that be what it is. We just sit it there and go, you're crying. Yeah, I'm sad I'm not pregnant. Okay, do you want to be pregnant? Not really, but I'm sad that I'm not. So let's just deal with that. And we're trying to just not bash everything into a hole too quickly and go, you're crying because she's pregnant, so let's get you pregnant. We're just kind of going, all right, let that brew for a bit instead of running before we can walk. Thanks very much to our guest, Laura Lex. Well, as I mentioned, I definitely do not want a baby at any point in the future, but that doesn't mean that I think, you know, we shouldn't be talking about pregnancy and trying. That sounds like a massive issue and it's a shame that people feel they have to be in silence about it or kind of keep it this big secret. I think if we're talking about kind of feminism and women's rights to their bodies um, and abortion rights as well, which are hugely important, we have to be able to talk about the other side of things, which is, you know, desperately wanting a child, but maybe struggling to have one or miscarriage. Um all those kind of quite big heavy topics that I think make a lot of us feel uncomfortable but it's crucial we can't let people feel completely alone when they're going through something like that like I might not relate to really wanting a baby and not being able to have one but I can relate to you know depression and immense grief and loss um and I think that's something we should all be more considerate of and a bit more empathetic and just reach out and chat to people Goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please give Samaritans a call at 116123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. Thanks very much to our guest, Laura Lex, and to our producer, Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. You should come and join us online. We have a safe space for chatting about all mental health things. It's called Mentally Yours on Facebook, and it's a private group, so it's completely secret from anyone you don't want to see. And you can keep up to date with what we're doing on Twitter as well. It's at Mentally Yours, felt Y-R-S at the end. See you next week. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 